Well, good morning again, church. If you have your Bibles, or if you need a Bible, just raise your hand and we'll get one right to your seat so you can follow along with us. Pull your Bible out. Turn it on if you use a phone or a tablet. Turn to Revelation chapter 14. We're going to be looking at the first five verses of Revelation chapter 14 this morning. I want to, when we uh, we pray this morning, we want to remember, uh, lift up Rick to you. Uh, KJC is our head of security here at the church. His dad uh, came down with the COVID. And uh, and so his oxygen level was low. We thought he was doing better. And then it just got lower. And now he's in ICU and and the, the ventilator. And so... Uh, we, his name is Rick, and so when we, we pray for today's study, we'll lift up Rick in that. But uh, Revelation chapter 14, starting in verse 1, we read, Then I looked, and behold, a lamb standing on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000, having his father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven, like the voice of many waters, and like the voice of loud thunder. And I heard the sound of harpists playing their harps. They sang, as it were, a new song before the throne, before the four living creatures and the elders. And no one can learn that song except the 144,000 who are redeemed from the earth. These are the ones who are not defiled with women, for they are virgins. These are the ones who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. These were redeemed from among men, being firstfruits to God and to the Lamb. And in their mouth was found no deceit, for they were without fault before the throne of God. The title of my message this morning is Living in a Fallen World. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for this time that we can spend together in your word. We thank you, Lord, that your word brings to us uh, comfort, peace, conviction, exhortation. Whatever we need, Lord, we can find through your word that you've given to us. Father, we want to lift up Rick to you, Lord, and pray that you would touch his body, that you would heal him. Uh, Lord Jesus, uh, you've healed so many, Lord, when you walk this earth, Lord, just by a simple word, a touch. Uh, Lord, uh, even from a distance you've healed him. So, Lord, would you touch Rick and would you heal him and would you bring back his oxygen level and just uh, blow the doctors away, Lord. Just touch him and heal him and give the doctors wisdom and give the nurses and doctors protection as they deal with the patients that are there, Lord. Father, we thank you for this, what we're going to study this morning, Lord. And we pray that as we look at this, Lord, that we'd have not only information but application in our lives that we might serve you better and be strengthened during the times in which we live. Lord, we do pray if there's anyone here that does not know you, does not, they're not born again yet, Lord, would you especially touch their heart this morning and then come to know you as Lord and Savior. So bless our time together, we pray. We commit it to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We are truly living in uncertain times. Our society, our culture is rapidly changing. After our study last week, I found this picture I thought was pretty funny. It was great. Me looking outside to see what chapter of Revelation we're doing today. (laughs) Because it seems as we've been studying the book of Revelation, we're not so much as having a Bible study as much as we're reading the daily news. Our headlines seem to match more and more uh, than ever how the Lord said things would be in the times and the seasons prior to His coming, to His return. Perhaps you've seen this picture before. It says, I'm no longer looking for signs of the times. I'm listening for the trumpet. 
And the reason mainly is what we're seeing not only in our world, but in our country. This past week was a tense week politically across America. And this coming week is likely to be even more intense with the inauguration happening. This coming Wednesday, supposed protests at every capital across America. We have witnessed, we have seen before, the, never, like never before, First Amendment rights being taken away by the censoring from the social platforms that are out there. We have seen restrictions in our free nation. I personally have never thought would ever come to America blamed on this pandemic that I think these restrictions have nothing to do with the pandemic. We've seen anti-Christian governments around the world using COVID-19 restrictions to persecute Christians. So what are we to do as Christians? How are we to be living in this fallen world? Let me encourage you with Paul's words and our verse for the years. We have a verse that, that we, we carry with us all year long. Colossians 3, 1 through 4 says this. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is our life appears, then you shall also appear with him in glory. Paul encourages all of us to keep our eyes on things above, to keep our focus on heaven, on eternity, and ultimately on Christ. I think a common temptation for all of us as believers is to lose our focus. For a time, anything can capture our attention and we become like that distracted driver. You know, when you're driving down the road and something captures your attention on the side of the road, maybe it's a deer in the field or, or turkeys or an interesting house or a tree or a building or a person or, or a text or a phone call or whatever. Literally, anything can draw your attention away from the road for a brief moment. When that happens, we are placed in a, in a, we place ourselves in a dangerous position. Actually, my wife doesn't let me look away from the road any longer without saying, watch out. <laughs> I see, I see. Because she knows that I've looked back at the road after looking away just in time to, to be a foot away from the car in front of me and have to know slam on the brakes. And, and that can happen to any of us because for a moment we can get distracted and we can lose focus. And I think today politics for many believers has become a distraction. Listen, it's okay to look. But we need to keep our eyes on the road. We must stay on track and keep the main thing, the main thing, and that is Jesus Christ. It's all about Jesus. It's dangerous to glance over and misplace our hope in a political party, a person, a chamber, a court, or even a political process. Again, Paul tells us, if then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God, set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. Our attention needs to be upward on Christ, on heaven, on his throne, union with Christ, the presence of Christ, fellowship with Christ, eternity with Christ, worship. That's why I'm excited about our text this morning, because we're going to see a group of people that will be living in a much worse time than we will ever experience, than we will ever face. And through their example, be shown to us what it's like to be living in a fallen world. In fact, look at verse 1 of chapter 14. We read, Then I looked and behold a lamb standing on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000, having his father's name written on their forehead. So here in verse 1 of chapter 14, we encounter the 144,000. Now, we looked at them, if you were with us, back in chapter 7. 
And I need to remind us uh, that chapter 14 is not in chronological order. In fact, chapters 10 through 14, there are parenthetical sections. What I mean by that is the Apostle John sees a vision of people and events going on at different times during the Great Tribulation period and shortly thereafter. So here we're taken, we're moved ahead to the end of the Great Tribulation, Christ returning to the earth. We know that when he returns, he's going to set his feet on Mount Zion, the ancient name for Jerusalem. It won't be Independence, Missouri, like our Mormon friends, you know, mistakenly assumed years ago. But again, obviously, you know, here in these first five verses, push us towards the end of the, at, at the end of the Great Tribulation when Jesus returns. Verse 1, we see, of a, we see these 144,000 that were set apart for a special assignment during the tribulation. That's over. Now they're praising God for getting them through the worst seven years that a person could ever experience. We saw back in chapter 7 how God will anoint 12,000 Jewish men from each tribe of the 12 tribes of Israel that will put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ and be used at last, as last day's evangelists. I find it interesting, I was watching a program last night, a news program that spoke of a program that's out there now for uh, people to, to get their DNA tested and, and it was uh, to see if they're Jewish or not. And there's been a rise, according to this news uh, report, there's been a rise in people wanting to see if they have Jewish blood in them. Now, I don't know if that's how God is going to separate the 144,000, 12,000 from each tribe or not, but I thought, man, that, that, that news is interesting. It kind of, again, fits into what we're seeing every single day. However God separates them, He will then place them in this place of protection upon them so that the Antichrist cannot stop them until they have completed the work of preaching the gospel. So picture 144,000 Apostle Pauls or, you know, kosher Billy Grahams or Greg Glories or, you know, preaching the gospel, calling people to repent. And notice how many of them John sees appearing with Jesus at the end of the tribulation. 144,000. Not 143,999. Not 143,998. 144,000. In other words, they all made it through. What a testimony to God's faithfulness. God keeps His promises. And He's promised to see them through, and He did, and He's promised to see us through, and He will. Now, if you remember from our study last week, we looked at the beastie boys. We looked at the beast, the false prophet, and the mark of the beast. But now again, chapter 14 stops everything and instead gives to us this encouragement by letting us know of the ultimate triumph for those who refuse the mark of the beast. Again, the special group of people that made it through the tribulation standing there on Mount Zion with Jesus. I mean, here are those that will make it through the most morally perverse and dark time in all of history, come out winners standing their ground with Jesus. Now, for us as Christians, as believers, we will not be here during the tribulation because we are going to be raptured out of here just prior to all this happening. And as I've said before, it could happen right now. Exactly. Now, I'm going to get you guys saying it right now. And one of these days, we're all going to say it together and poof, we're going to be out of here. But until that happens, doesn't doesn't mean we're not going to face struggles and, and difficulties ourselves. It doesn't mean we're not going to go through times of tribulation. In fact, Jesus told us this in John sixteen thirty three. These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. 
In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. Yes, we will experience trials and, and sorrows, Jesus says, but we're to take heart because Jesus has overcome the world. 1 John 4, 4, Jesus tells us, you are of God, or John tells us, you are of God, little children, and have overcome them. Overcome those that are in the world, because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. And we need to remember that. So then, if what is, so, so then what is it that we can learn from the lives of these 144,000 about living in a fallen world? Well, I've got five points, five things we can learn from them that we can see from. Number one, their seal, their song, their steps, their speech, and their standing with God. First of all, number one, their seal. Look at verse one again. Then I looked, and behold, a lamb standing on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000, having his father's name written on their foreheads. The name of God, Yahweh, written on their foreheads. It protected them from the judgments that took place during God's wrath upon the earth, the great tribulation. You could say that the Lord was always on their mind. You know, Isaiah 26.3 tells us, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. You want to have peace in your life? Keep your mind focused on the Lord, on him and his greatness. So these 144,000 were sealed, they were protected, and they made it safely through. In the same way, the Bible tells us as Christians, we too are sealed. Paul talks about that in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13, where he says, In him you also trusted, having you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and whom also, having believed, you've come to know Jesus, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. At that moment of salvation, when you became born again, the Father placed His seal on you and me. And now the work of the Holy Spirit is seeking to do in our lives is to help us stay focused on the Lord. Now, I know I shared this recently. We all know what a seal is. A large sea animal that barks. And, uh, but <laughs> being sealed speaks of ownership. You see, there in Ephesus, uh, they had these crates and they were sealed with the imprint of the owner's ring before that ship could be, before that crate could be shipped across the Aegean Sea. Well, with the proper seal on that crate, it was sure to arrive at its destination. In the same way, when Jesus went to the cross, God purchased you. He purchased me. And when we believed in Him, we put our trust in Him, He put a seal of ownership upon our lives. His Holy Spirit is God's seal upon our lives to prove His ownership. So that we are assured a safe arrival to our final destination, which is heaven. That's why Paul could write in Philippians 1.6, being confident of this very thing, that He who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. But that should make us all feel so much more secure. That God has sealed me, that I'm His, I belong to Him, and He's given me His Holy Spirit as that proof of ownership. Let me tell you, God takes care of the things that He owns. So number one, being sealed brought them safely through the Great Tribulation. And in the same way, we've been sealed by God and will safely be brought through the trials and tribulation in our own lives and be safely brought to heaven in God's timing. Now, as a result of being sealed, we see they have a song in their hearts. And that's our next point, their song. Look at verses 2 and 3. And I heard a voice from heaven, like the voice of many waters, like the voice of loud thunder. And I heard the sound of harpists playing their harps. They sang, as it were, a new song before the throne, before the four living creatures and the elders. And no one could learn that song except the 144,000 who were redeemed 
from the earth. So these 144,000 had an exclusive song to sing because they alone went through the testing and the great tribulation and maintained their integrity just as God called them to do. They kept themselves pure. They continued to walk with the Lord until He removed them from the earth. Now their specific song that they will sing is because God had been faithful to do what He said He would do for them. And again, every one of us experienced times of trials and tribulations, and yet God's intention is that during those times that He would put a new song in our hearts as well. But during those times, we would learn to sing praises uh, to Him and for His goodness and for His grace and for His mercy, but most of all, for our salvation. Psalm 32.1 says, Blessed is he who transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. We have so much to praise God for. But the single most reason is for our salvation, what Jesus Christ has done for us. We should sing songs of praise. And not just praise Him when things are going great and perfectly well, but even when we're going through difficulties. We're to praise Him. Not for the difficulty, but because He has a plan and a purpose for me through the difficulty, and He will see me through just like He sees these, He will see these 144,000. You know, we see a great illustration of this over in Acts chapter 16, starting in verse 25, when, when Paul and Silas were, were put in prison. Now, the prisons at that time were not like the prisons that we have today, you know, with the color TV and the workout facility and the recreation yard. We're talking a cold, dark, damp dungeon roaming with rats and the smell of raw sewage. And here we find these two men in the darkness of this dungeon in the midnight hour singing and praising the Lord with their whole heart. Why? Is it because they knew that an earthquake was going to come and shake the prison and open the doors? No, that hadn't happened yet. They didn't have the last half of Acts chapter 16 yet. They were still living it. Were they singing because they thought if they just sang long enough and if they just sang loud enough, the guards would get fed up with them and set them free? John, Jacob, Jingleheimer, Schmidt, that is my name. Okay, stop, stop, get out of here. No, that wasn't the reason. We read there at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Why? Because they knew that God was with them. They knew. And as a result, there was an earthquake and the prison doors were open and the prison guard and his family came to know Christ. But they were singing because they knew that the Lord was in their midst with them with what they were going through. You know, Psalm 16:11 says, In God's presence is fullness of joy. At His right hand are pleasures forevermore. Paul and Silas sang because they knew God was still on His throne. They knew that their hope was in Him. Their peace was in God. That's a reason to sing in their hearts. And that's the Lord's intention for each one of us. He desires to put that new song on our hearts, especially during the days in which we're living in. We can praise Him because He's still on His throne. And He still is on us, and He's with us in whatever difficulties we face in life. Promises to never leave us or forsake us. Now, that doesn't mean that we're not going to go through difficult times. It doesn't mean that we're not going to go through hard times or tribulations. But God's promise is that He will be with us. I've always liked Isaiah 43, 1 through 3. It says this, But now thus says the Lord who created you, O Jacob, and He who formed you, O Israel, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flame scorch you. For I am the Lord your God, 
the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I gave Egypt for your ransom, Ethiopia and Seba in your place. Man, that is awesome. Uh, so, the, you know, God is with us no matter what we're going to go through. Now, there's one thing that can stand in our way when we go through times of difficulties and struggles. And that goes back to the song that they were singing. See, they were singing a new song of praise to the Lamb on the throne. And if we're singing songs of praise to our Lord, we know that God inhabits the praises of His people so we can trust Him to see us through. But, but if you're singing the blues, then guess what? You're going to be blue. That's why they call it the blues. You know, they actually have a website for 52 most depressing songs of all time. So you can actually listen to one a week for the whole year and just be depressed for the whole year. You know, I'm old enough to remember a few of them. You know, in the, in the 70s, if you're my age, you remember Seasons in the Sun. Remember that song? Goodbye, Papa, it's hard to die with all the birds are singing in the sky. Now that the spring is in the air, little children everywhere, when you see them, I'll be there. Oh, man. Then you got into the 80s with a total eclipse of the heart. Once upon a time I was falling in love, but now I'm only falling apart. There's nothing I can do, a total eclipse of the heart. Then we shoot ahead to the 2000s of Bradley Cooper and Lady Gaga. I'm off the deep end. Watch as I dive in. I'll never meet the ground. Crash through the surface where they can't hurt us. We're far from the shallow now. Oh, my goodness gracious. You know, nothing has changed over the years. People still like to sing the blues when things aren't going their way. It's almost like misery loves company. I am so bummed right now, so I'm going to listen to songs that bum me out even more. It's crazy. Listen, those types of songs are going to have two negative effects on me. First, it puts a false message in my mind that what's happening in my life is out of God's control, that He's not on the throne. And secondly, it puts my focus on my situation and, and, and my problems and takes my mind and my eyes off of the Lord. I mean, the enemy would love to come in during times of difficulty and cause you to, 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 to look inward and to, and to get more depressed and to question God's love and God's authority over a situation. I thought we need to recognize it for what it is and cast off the works of darkness. We're told in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18 through 20, we're not to be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves, making music to the Lord in your hearts. Man, I find it such great comfort to turn off the news and turn on some praise and worship music. Even in my most discouraging moments, I can find strength in the Lord. Because God is, is, is totally and absolutely faithful to meet us in every situation and every difficulty and every tribulation. And in each situation, He reveals a new aspect of His person and His power and His provision that's worth singing about. And that's what He wants to do in us and what He did in Paul and Silas and this group of 144,000. He wants to write in our hearts a song of praise for all that He's done, all that He's going to do. And when we start making, sing, singing and making music in our hearts of the Lord, the blues go away. So sing. I, I like the story about an old farmer who went to the city uh, one weekend and attended this big church in the city. And he came home and his wife asked him, well, how was it? Well, said the farmer, it was good. They did something different, however. They sang praise choruses instead of hymns. Praise choruses, said his wife. What are those? Oh, they're okay. They're sort of like hymns, only different, said the farmer. Well, what's the difference, asked the wife. 
Well, the farmer said it's like this. Well, if I were to say to you, Martha, the cows are in the corn, well, that would be a hymn. On the other hand, if I were to say to you, Martha, 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 oh, Martha, 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 the cows, the big cows, the brown cows, the black cows, the white cows, the black cows, the, the cows, cows, cows are in the corn, in the corn, in the corn, in the corn. That would be a praise course. Listen, I don't care if it's a praise course. I don't care if it's a hymn or something in between. If it's a song of praise to the Lord, if it's biblical, sing it out. Worship the Lord. Open your heart to Him. Praise Him. Because when we have that song in our hearts, it's going to separate us from the rest of the world. It's going to make us different than the rest of the world. People say, what is wrong with you? Don't you know how terrible the world is? Our God is an awesome God. Just stop that. You see, people go, hey, what's going on? Hey, my God is great. And you just keep on singing. In fact, that's what we read of these 144,000. They were different than the rest of the world. They sang, as it were, a new song before the throne. Look what else. Verse 4. He says, These are the ones who are not defiled with woman, for they are virgins. Now, this speaks of a couple things. First, they've, they've kept themselves from the defilement of the world and its moral filth. You think it's bad now, wait until the tribulation period. You know, in the Old and the New Testament, unfaithfulness to the Lord is described as spiritual fornication or spiritual adultery. So this is saying that, that they kept themselves from anything that would compromise their purity before Jesus. In other words, they were faithful to Jesus. They did not love the world or the things in this world. To them, it would have just been like committing spiritual fornication because their love for Jesus was first to him and him only. Unfortunately, today, there are many Christians who don't think it's too seriously about flirting with the things of the world, about flirting with, with things that God calls sin. I read a story about a competition they were having in Africa where these guys get in a ring and square off with a, a king cobra snake. The object is to try to catch the snake by the back of its head without getting bit. Crazy. Nuts. But you know what? Many Christians have the tendency to, to approach sin in that same way. I'm just going to play around with this just a little bit. It's, it's not going to get me. It's not going to do anything wrong. Listen, that's foolishness. It's crazy. Because those little bites can be deadly. Again, 1 John 2, 15 and 16, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. Anything that has to do with the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life is being in love with the world. These make us uh, fornicators in a spiritual sense. Now, I think it's very unsettling to think of any unfaithfulness to Jesus in that way, but it's true. And if you've fallen in those areas, then in a sense you have gone to bed with the world. Listen, we as a church, the Bible calls us the bride of Christ. And as the bride of Christ, we need to be keeping ourselves pure for Him and Him alone and not let anything to defile us. I mean, think about what bride in her wedding gown would go lay in a pig pen and then show up for the wedding in her wedding dress all covered in pig stop and mud smelling like a pig. What happened here? Where have you been? Oh, just hanging out with the pigs. <laughs> Listen, 
Ladies, how is your spiritual wedding gown looking? Guys, how is your, your tuxedo spiritually looking? I'm not just talking about actions. I'm talking about attitudes as well, guys. You know, having a stinky attitude spreads. Listen, the next time you're thinking about doing something that is questionable, ask yourself in this situation, will it cause you to get that wedding gown dirty? Will it muddy up your white tux? Am I spreading a stinky attitude? Am I stinking up the place? Listen, the next time you think that compromise is an innocent thing and it's no big deal and the Lord will understand, think of it as committing spiritual fornication. Think of it as being unfaithful to Jesus. And I guarantee you, if you do that, it's going to change your mind about what you're about to do. And then the second thing I want to point out here that should be an encouragement to all of those that are single, it says there in in verse 4 that that these 144,000, they were virgins. In other words, it shows that they were single and that, that God used their singleness to bring Him glory. I mean, that should be a, a great encouragement to anyone that's single. I love Paul's words in, second, in 1 Corinthians rather, 7, verse 32 through 34 in the New Living Translation. He writes this, I want you to be free from the concerns of this life. An unmarried man can spend his time doing the Lord's work and thinking how to please Him. But a married man has to think about his earthly responsibilities and how to please his wife. His interests are divided. In the same way, a woman who is no longer married or has never been married can be devoted to the Lord and holy in body and in spirit. But a married woman has to think about her earthly responsibilities and how to please her husband. See, those who are single have a certain mobility and a freedom that those of us who are married do not have. So use it for the glory of God. So we see, number one, their seal. We see, number two, their song. Brings us to point number three, their steps. Verse four, again, we read, These are the ones who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. Listen, following Jesus is the simplest way to be all that God would have you to be and enjoying all that God would have you to enjoy as a Christian. Jesus said it over and over again. Matthew's Gospel, Mark's Gospel, Luke's Gospel. He said in Matthew 4.19, Follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Luke 9.23, Matthew 16.24, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. John 10.27, My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. John 12.26, If anyone serves me, let him follow me. And where I am there, my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, him my Father will honor. Why did Jesus say, follow me so much? Because he understood, he knew there was only two ways to go through this life. Down the road to righteousness following Jesus Christ or the road to destruction on the way to hell. Jesus put it this way very clearly in Matthew 7, 13 and 14. Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And many there be that go by it. Many. Because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few who find it. Man, that's sobering. See, it's obvious that these two paths have nothing in common and they will never meet. It's been said, standing in the middle of the road is dangerous. You'll get knocked down by the traffic from both ways. Broad is the path that the way the world is heading and it's leading to destruction and many are going down that path ignoring all the signs, ignoring all the, all the warnings. But listen, following Jesus means going down that straight and narrow path that leads to life. It means trusting in Jesus with all your heart, living your life to please Him. So then if I'm following Jesus, 
that I'm going to live a life of holiness. I'm going to avoid anything in my life that's going to displease Him and, 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 and take away from my love and my affection for my Savior. But, but what a great thing to be said about a group of people. These are the ones who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. I love that. I pray that for our church. Man, those at Calvary Chapel Springfield, man, they are the ones who follow the Lamb wherever He leads. Where does he lead? Well, Psalm 23, he leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. But listen, in order to follow someone, you have to let them lead. And sadly, there are people today who only let the Lord be their leader when they're following where, where they want to go themselves. Oh, this is great. The sky is blue. The grass is green. All is well in the world. I'm following Jesus. But the minute those storm clouds come in, the minute the, the stuff that happens, man, and Lord, you go on ahead. I'm just going to take this path over here. I'll catch up with you later. No, the true Christian follows Christ wherever he leads them. That's why Psalm 23, 4 says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. That's why Jesus said in John 15, 14, You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. He didn't say, you're my friends if you do what you personally agree with or what makes you feel comfortable or whatever is convenient for you. No, you are my friends if you obey me, if you do what I command you. And listen, these 144,000 were friends of Jesus and they went through an awful lot. But, but at the end of verse 4, we read these were redeemed from among men, being first fruits to God and to the Lamb. Not another group like this that you'll see. It just God called them out to sing this song simply because they, they went through what they went through. And God has called us in the same way. Until so the Lord will be with them each step of the way. Number one, their seal, their song, their steps. This brings us to point number four, verse five, their speech. Look at verse five. And in their mouth is found no deceit, for they are without fault before the throne of God. Wow, that can be convicting, can it? No deceit. Now think of this from the evangelism standpoint. Think about the truth that they'll be sharing. I mean, it isn't an easy message. Remember, they're going to be the ones going through the great tribulation period. So they walk up to someone and say, can I tell you about Jesus Christ? He died on the cross for you. He rose again from the dead. If you put your faith and trust in and believe in him, heaven awaits you. But also, if you do, no doubt you're gonna, it's going to cost your life. No doubt you're going to be beheaded, and you won't be able to buy or sell anything because you won't have the mark of the beast. And by the way, did I tell you, you'll probably be beheaded. You want to accept Christ? That's going to be tough. I mean, this is going to be what the message is, and it's a tough message to give, but they're going to share it faithfully. Contrast it to the message that we can give right now during this time of grace. We get to tell them, that God loves them. We get to tell them that God can save them from their sin, that they can be born again, that God will take them home in the rapture of the church in heaven before the tribulation because of what God's doing in their lives. Eternity. If they just turn from their sin. That's a great message. Well, what if they don't believe? Well, that, that's a tough part for us because we need to tell them the truth. We need to tell them that if they, if they reject Jesus Christ, they will end up in hell. We can't candy coat it in the times in which we're living. We can't shrink back from it. We need to preach it. We need to speak the truth with love. These 144,000 did it in a more difficult time than we'll ever face. 
I pray, especially with this coming new political administration, that we can get somewhat away from talking politics and back to talking about Jesus. Instead of politics, Jesus ticks. I think that would be better. And even with all this political turmoil going on in our nation, that we would do as Paul writes in Colossians 4, 6, let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. And finally, this brings us to our last point, number five. They're standing before God. Look at the end of verse five. It says, for they are without fault before the throne of God. Why are they without fault before the throne of God? Was it anything they had done? No, it's who they are in Christ. Folks, this is one of the key aspects of our standing in times of tribulation and struggles in our lives. It's knowing who you are in God and your place in Jesus Christ. It goes back to being sealed. We, according to uh, uh, Hebrews 3, 1, are called the holy brethren. We're partakers of the heavenly calling. It's on Christ's righteousness that we stand. It's a solid rock of, rock of our foundation. We are, we are without fault. As Titus 3, 5 tells us, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. And listen, even if you failed as we all have, if you are, are one of his, God still finds you faultless. Why? Because it's his blood. He paid the price. That he, he cleanses us from all of our sins, all of our faults. And in Christ, you have everything that you need so that you never are lacking in spiritual resources. See, here's what happened when Jesus died on the cross. Some significant things took place. You were cleansed, first of all, of all your sins, of course. But when Jesus died on the cross, God treated Jesus as if he personally committed every, every sin that was ever committed by every person, even though Jesus never committed any of them. Let me repeat that. When Jesus died on the cross, God treated him as if he had personally committed every sin that was ever committed by every person, though he never committed any of them. It's called the doctrine of substitution. Christ took your place upon the cross. God punished Jesus on the cross as though he had lived your life. He treated him as though it was you. He paid the price for the wrongs you and I have done. But there's more. If Jesus came just to die on the cross, then why did he have to live 33 years on earth? Why didn't he just come in for the weekend and get it done and taken care of? Well, because he came to live the perfect life, the righteous life in every thought. He passed every test. And he did this because as you have trusted in Jesus Christ, God puts what he did now onto your account. You see, God now treats you as if you lived that perfect life, as if you were righteous in every thought, as if you passed every test. God treated Jesus as he should have treated you, and now he treats you as he treated Jesus. That's called imputation. You see, not only has God forgiven me, he has now imputed to me his righteousness. And one day, like the 144,000, we will stand without fault before the throne of God. So as we close... We see what we have in common with these 144,000 that are going to make, make it through the worst time on this earth that will ever come. We have their seal. They were sealed through the great tribulation. We are sealed by the Holy Spirit. God will get us safely home in his time. We see their song. We should sing songs of praise and, and not just when things are going good. Sing songs of praise all the time. It changes the attitude of our hearts. We see their steps. They follow Jesus, the Lamb, wherever he goes. We see their speech. We get to tell people that God loves them so much that he sent his son to die for them. And we see their standing before God. And the same way we who are in Christ stand without fault before the throne of God, all because of Christ's righteousness. So, 
How should we be living in these politically charged times as we see America changing? Well, first as believers, nothing changes. We need to remember two things. First and foremost, we must remember our citizenship is in heaven. Philippians 3.20, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. The world's not our home. Secondly, remember the Great Commission. That hasn't changed. Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. I like what Pastor Greg Lloyd just recently posted. He said this, it's time for us to wake up as Christians and remember that the gospel is more important than anything. The gospel is more important than our preferences. It's more important than our politics. It's more important than anything else. The gospel is our message to the culture. See, our our goal, our aim as believers is not to change the political climate of America. It's to change the world. And we do it the same way uh, as as it's been done for 2,000 years and the way the early church did it, by sharing the gospel. You know, in that first century, the word believer didn't just mean someone who who heard or, or agreed with Jesus. It meant someone who acted on what they believed. Acts 17, 6 says that when the outside world saw the faith of these new believers, they declared that they turned the world upside down. That's the kind of faith that God wants us to have during these politically charged times in our country. The kind of believer that God wants each of us to be. The kind who understands that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but through Him. The kind that believe the gospel, that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, rose again on the third day, and stands to make intercession for all those who put their trust in Jesus Christ. We have a civil responsibility as citizens of heaven to do that which our king, that which our leader, that which our Lord, our master has shown us to do, to go into all the world and preach the gospel. You see, once we recognize for ourselves the hope that we have that this world is not our home, then we can keep our eyes on Jesus and we want to spread that good news quicker than COVID is spreading. Wouldn't it be great to have a gospel pandemic? I would love that. Everybody being exposed to the gospel resulting in spreading it all over the world. The only vaccine is a hardened heart that results in death. But you come to Christ, you will live. Listen, as we close, if you've not given your life to Jesus Christ, come to faith to Him today. He loves you. He has a plan for your life. Don't get caught up with what's going on in the world. Keep our focus on Him. Yeah, pray for our country. Pray for peace. Uh, but keep our eyes on Him. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for this time this morning. Thank You for Your Word. We thank You for the hope that we have that this world is not our home. Lord, we kind of have a, a dual citizenship in that we, we live here in the United States, but our home is heaven. Lord, we thank you for that because our hope is you, because you're there in heaven, Lord, and that's why we're excited about it. And so, Lord, the times in which we have that that we're living, Lord, help us to be faithful. Lord, help us to to have wisdom, Lord, in which we we, uh, live. Lord, help us to, to understand, Lord, we've been sealed. We have your Holy Spirit to lead us and guide us. Lord, help us to have that song in our heart, Lord, to praise you that even when times are tough, Lord, that we would... Lord, turn off the bad news and turn on the good news. Lord, guide our steps, we pray. Help us to be in your word. Lord, your word says it, that your word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. Your word is a lamp unto our feet, a light to our path. Lord, help us to, to watch our steps. Lord, our speech, help us to say those things that are uplifting and encouraging, that build one another up. 
not tear one another down. And when we share with those that don't know you, Lord, give us the words that would touch their hearts by your Holy Spirit. Lord, not condemning, Lord, but, but hope that they can have hope in you. And finally, Lord, we thank you for our standing in you, Lord, that, that we're, we don't stand on our own ground, Lord. That's faulty ground. We stand on your righteousness and your love and what you did for us, Lord. A solid rock, Lord, that we have. Jesus, thank you for your love and grace. And finally, Lord, if there's anyone here that has not made that commitment to you, Lord, touch their heart today. Help them not to leave this place without making that commitment to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.